Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Sounds good on my side. Ooh. All right. Wow. That's cool. Wow. 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 All right. Hey, here we go. Welcome to the podcast. Or do you want to do it for the last time? You want to do the introduction? Rapid always get pissed and blow it up. <laughs> oh, really? No, I don't want really to blow anything up, but uh, welcome to the podcast. There Catholic we go. stuff you should know. It's a real honor to be on the podcast. I'm Father Austin Litke, Dominican, the Eastern Province, Eastern United States. Province. I'm here with Father John Neppel, a priest of the diocese, Archdiocese of Denver. Excellent. Well done. <laughs> so, so how many have we done over here this year? Uh, not many. I would say what? This is probably our fifth, either fourth or sixth one, something like that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we've done a few. Yeah, we've done a handful. Well, it's been a great uh, great year together and a uh, great few years together, but uh, this podcasting together has been great. So here we are in Rome, uh, and this is the final installment of Rome podcasting. Period. You're Period. not going to do any more while you're here. This is it. Probably not, huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I have three friends on this continent. You know? <laughs> oh, that's not true. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> The uh, yeah, so this is. I think this is a great one. I don't. I know a little bit of the topic. We kind of broke the rules, but um, well, just because I just want to make sure you didn't. We're not doubling up, on right? Anything. But I uh, yeah. So it's it's a great one to end on. So this is going to be coming out in May. And what are you going to be doing May in Rome? I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's starting to get warm. A lot of people around. End of the school year. Everyone's trying to finish up their work. Um, Especially for us with the with the students in the chaplaincy, and it's the last. We've all weeks. realized how amazing we are at this point. Exactly. At this point, they just love us <laughs> and just want to spend all their time with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just find, yeah, May here. I always find just kind of busy. You just yeah. go in the whole time because also it's a time when people are coming in from the states right, as well, right, right. Uh, and people want to see you, want to go, you know, do things, have dinner, and that sort of thing. And so it's it's a busy time, trying to get work done, trying to see people. Uh, and kind of wrapping up, and for you, I mean, this is kind of the swan song as well. I mean, yeah. So by the time this comes out, the this is funny to try and think into the future. Here. Mm-hmm. I should be really happy and like really laid back all of a sudden. Oh, right? I would think it would probably freak me out. Yeah. Actually. So it the 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 dissertation will be in the hands of the co-relatore, the second reader, um, who will then have several weeks to uh, kind of give his critiques, yeah. and also they do it as kind of an imprimatur. It's like the test, the catholicity. Sure. So he's responsible for saying, is this kind of according to the faith? That's the month of May. I'm going to make a retreat. Uh, we're going to have a nice little uh, jeet up to Bologna. See yeah, we get to go see the Tioli. Friends, Tioli's, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and uh, it's going to be, um, who's up there? Eduardo also was the one. I got to make sure he does listen regularly. So we'll see oh, him as well. Um, I didn't know we were going to see him for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, so and then you're out of here mid-May and uh, yeah. back to D.C. Be back in D.C. all summer doing research uh, there, and then uh, I'll come back here next year and do my last year. And then that'll be it, one more year. Yeah. You're going to crush it. I hope so. <laughs> I, one of my great memory, or one of my great joys of uh, hanging with Father Austin is uh, watching him shock Italians when he tells them he's an American. Because his Italian is so good. I mean, it's like we were at dinner last night. Sure enough, yeah. And uh, Betta, she was. <laughs> you had her. I don't know what you were saying, but you just had her eating out of your hands. And then she asked, "Where are you from?" And yeah. You said, "Take." You know, you it was very. She's like, "Uh, Switzerland, Germany." I was like, "No, from the states." Like, what? The look on her face. That yeah. was funny. That was genuine. I think. I don't think she was just uh, trying to be nice. to She her. was genuinely shocked. But yeah, I'm still learning how to like. Uh, you know, basic, basic. 
I'm learning the basics of, of Roman now. <laughs> Not the highest level of Italian. Like, uh, Coop always comes up to me and goes, oh, 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 oh I love oh, that. Which I means like, it. hey, right? It's yeah, just kind of like, like, hey, oh, oh, oh. There's a great video someone sent me the other day. It's 15 seconds. It says, oh, explained in 15 seconds. Oh. And it's this guy looking from his window about third story up. And there's a buddy of his walking. He's trying to get his attention. He goes, nothing works. The guy's about to turn the corner. He goes, oh. And the guy looks straight up at it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good. That's one. how and you then, know your friends. That's right. And then um, the other one I love that you were telling us earlier was uh, Amatsa. Amatsa. <laughs> Just kind of means, wow, like, whoo, listen. Huh. But it literally means a massacre, right? Murder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amatsare is like to murder, massacre. So, so if we ran into each other on the street, just randomly... Murder. Amatsu. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, it's so great. They're wonderful. Though. The Roman thing is, it's a different It's a different world. They're their own people. Yep. And everyone thinks of them that way, you know? Yep, yep yeah. that's true. No, I'll never forget when I was in Siena this the first summer trying to learn Italian. I went to the post office to mail something to the States. And these guys could obviously tell that I was not from around here. And they were like, well, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm here to learn Italian. They're like, well, why do you want to learn Italian? I was like, well, I'm going to go do some studies in Rome. They're like, well, why are you learning Italian? I was like, what do you mean? They're like, they don't speak Italian now. Right, right, right. <laughs> so they really see them as a different I heard the same population. thing was said to me up in Milan. We were up in a hut um, north, up in the Alps, and that was the exact same thing. They're like, <laughs> you don't speak Italian. Yeah. <laughs> they don't speak Italian down there. So, yeah. But you're in with the Romans. You got your, you got your crew. There was another thing, that, a comment that was said to me on a bike ride, which <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll leave it for the sake of the uh, younger, younger listeners. Yeah, that's the uh, PG-13. Yeah, it was um, some older ladies... Um, and I, uh, they said this phrase to me, which we'll tell you sometime in person, uh, over a bourbon. And I looked at them like shocked. I yeah. was fixing my bike in spandex. That doesn't help at a, ca- <laughs> at a cafe in Castel Gandolfo when this was said to me. And then she went into English. We obviously don't speak Italian. And I was like, well, I understand Italian words. And if I think I understood what you just said, and then she goes, no, it means, it just means you're lucky. Yeah. And so we had to run this through your Roman friends, and, and they all uh, confirmed sure it. enough, yeah, that you know, all these words, you know, <laughs> you, you, you learn about three cuss words, and you realize it, it makes up a lot of. It's the, all uh, that they speak, so right, exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you've learned uh, you've learned the Roman language, and you'll perfect it next year for sure. So. But you've in, you've uh, uh, I was going to say engendered. That's not right. Uh, endeared yourself. That's the word. Endeared yourself to them in other ways. Right. So. Particularly by becoming a cyclist. They love that. Yeah, they love that. that. And uh, I drink pear juice every day because I've become friends with uh, Carlo, our guy who uh, helps at breakfast. Okay. And he, they just always want to give you, you know what I mean? Like, like, or Antonio at Abruzzi. It's like, today you got to have the, you know, tripo, or what is that stuff called? Tripa. Tripa. Oh, it's disgusting. You know? And I was like, I don't want it. He's like, you got to have it. It's today's thing. It's so good today. It's like, man, I don't want it. This intestine. So every time I come down to the kitchen, Carlo hands me a a thing of pear juice because one time I put a little milk in three quarters of pear juice, and I guess that's a Sicilian thing that he. he, Oh, really? And it's 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 good, but I'm not like really into it. I I literally have like three cartons of pear juice in my (laughs) (laughs) because it's just like they yeah. So they are they're generous people. They're generous people, and I tell you what, patient, patient with the language too. Yeah, they're the most they're the most rewarding of your effort. Of any foreign language I've tried so oh, far. Oh, yeah. By oh, far. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, there's just a whole kind of, this is funny to get kind of sentimental mm-hmm. reflecting on this because it took me years of the German, everything German in me dying. <laughs> yep. You know? Like, for example, I went to the bike shop, got a tune up last week at mm-hmm. Lazaretti, 
great bike shop. It's been around for a hundred years, you know? Awesome. And I think I told you this story cause we've been hanging out a lot, but, um, the next day I go on a ride and I break a spoke oh, and I'm course, like yeah. five miles outside of Rome <laughs> and I got to ride back on this thing. So I bring it to the shop and I was like, and he's like, why? he, first off, he remembered me from yesterday and he knew my name. Yeah. So he's like, why are you back? You know? So that's the first thing. That's it's nice. Like, yeah. It's, you're not just like a, you know, you're not just getting cranked through, but he remembered. And I said, eh, spoke. And, he, and then he just kind of went into this whole thing. Well, how, this bike's five years old and, you know, these things happen. And I was just like, you know, just kind of, and I, I think I've been around long enough to know you just kind of let, like, let this roll out. Exactly. He's just talking it through. <laughs> Don't get defensive. Don't even try and take it on. And I yeah. just kept saying, you know, I just need it fixed. I'll pay whatever. No yeah. problem. It's not a big deal that the tune-up happened yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and he just keeps going, well, you know, I don't know what it's going to cost. I don't know what the timing's going to be like. No problem. Just need it by Friday, you know. Yep. Come back the next day. Gives me a big hug. We fixed it. It's on us, you know. Have a good ride. That's just a like, perfect isn't little microcosm. Yeah. It just sums it up. That's exactly it. But early on, I would have come at him. No. Nope. And then, like, you fix this thing, and you're going to pay for it. That's <laughs> And then he's like, oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to charge you five times what we yeah. usually do. No, you're never, you never will win. Never. No. Yeah. And so. that's not the point. That's not the point. Like you said, if you just let them kind of process, you know, uh, what's there something more human about this? Right. You know, as opposed to the Germanic kind of keeping it in. Right. um, Yeah. I mean, my mom always complains about this because my mom, you've never met my mom. No, I know. It's crazy. She's uber sanguine. Yeah. Sanguine, sanguine, like both and. Uh, and then I have this kind of melancholic, choleric dad, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> so she always complains about it. And she's like, so yeah, I just let everything out. And yeah, I'm just so much better. There. But your dad, he just keeps it all in. And that's why he gets these headaches. You know, she, so she'll just kind of you know, get this thing. Uh, she said, no, it's, it's much, you're just much happier if you just let it all out. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that all four of the chaplains for Bernardi have like huge, hugely sanguine mothers. Is that right? Yeah. My mom, Coop's mom is like... Is that right? Oh, yeah. And McGill's also. It was funny. Interesting. You know? uh, a little, a little I wonder if that... sociological experiment or something like, you know. I was just talking about priest moms. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there are some introverted priest moms. Probably. <laughs> there must Probably be. Probably out there, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of introverts, I, I questioned our uh, table. I was kind of blowing it. It was kind of a social experiment that blew up in my face. Uh, first week at Bernardi, I'm sitting with like turbo introverts. <laughs> Indeed you And are. I'm like, would you guys rather sit in silence or would you rather be talking right now? <laughs> first off... You can't put them on the spot like no. that. That was the first, that's the reason it blew up. Yeah. Because Coop told me, he's like, because we live in a house of introverts. Yeah. And we live with a lot of good priests. But this is a predominantly introverted. And he goes, John, all of the guys at the table with you who aren't talking to you are not uncomfortable. Yeah. They're actually preferring that you're not talking. Yeah. They're and not sitting there like, thinking, I really wish I knew or someone knew what to say right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, somebody has to say something now. No. He's like, thinking nobody's that. thinking that. Everyone's thinking this is so enjoyable. I can just look at my food and think and not talk. And I'm like, okay, so what's planned for Easter? Hey. Oh, I asked you that five times last week. Okay. Plan for the summer. Okay. Where, Where are you from? Are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, just don't talk. And I'm really trying to, right. trying to just, like, Embrace the awkwardness. That mm-hmm. was one of my Lenten things, you know. Is that right? Whew. How's Tough, that going? Man. Not yeah. well. Not well. I can no, do I about, thought your story about... I can do four seconds. That yep. you told this... Oh, we have a visitor. Yes, perfect timing. There's Father Evan. Come in. Oh, yeah, we're taping. Come on in, man. Come on in. <laughs> Literally just talking about you. Pull up a chair. No, but I was going to bring up that story that you told about one of the former students that you... Uh, 
you basically said, um, how have you changed in the last year? And she just goes, whoa. Whoa. You got to give me six to eight weeks to think about that. Here, grab it. There's chairs right there, and you can sit and share this microphone with me. Father Evan Coop, you've already been cited a number of times. A number of times. It's like one of my homilies, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's time for you to defend introverts. That was Ellie Reinhardt, by the way. Indeed. I didn't know if you wanted to say her um, name or not. Oh, Obviously yeah. I'll did. definitely say it. And I said to her, I said, I want to know, Ellie, how have you changed since you were at Bernardi two years ago? And she goes, that is so. That is such an intense question. I need six to eight weeks to think about it. And she thought about it for six to eight weeks and then sent me the most beautiful letter describing it. I was like See? amazed. So introverts, though dangerous behind the wheel, do serve a purpose in society. <laughs> <laughs> Father Evan, thoughts? Yeah, it'll take a good uh, 30 to 40 minutes for me to collect my thoughts. Oh, uh, true I, enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. We can't just ambush him like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what do you have against introverts? <laughs> Uh, what do I have against introverts? I have nothing against introverts. I, <laughs> yeah. So, Father, I feel like we have to update you on what we're these <laughs> people have already heard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was complaining no. about conversations here at the Casa and uh, how lots of guys right. just kind of like to sit there and not talk. How they're not oriented to extroverts. Yeah, that's yeah. right. How it's yeah, not all about the extrovert. To extroverts. It's not yeah, all about sorry. the cleric at the table who just has to have something <laughs> to argue about. Just to kind of get through lunch somehow. You All know? right, guys, enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> exactly. No, you're kind of like Cosmo Kramer. You just walked in the door here. <laughs> you did. That was a very Cosmo. Yeah. It was yeah. nice. <laughs> it was very nice. You came in a bit. Yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, it was good. Well, this is great. I don't know how long we've been rolling here. So Should know, we get to a topic then? get into it. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, let me talk about the occasion uh, of the topic a little bit, because it doesn't exactly have to do with the topic, but um, just kind of... A number of things that happened uh, recently. There's that kind of perennial question uh, of kind of when Harry met Sally, you know, can men and women just be friends? Uh, yes. You know? And then particularly within Catholic circles, there's a lot of conversation about this, about whether men and women can be friends. And that Do sort any of, of our students know when Harry met Sally? I, I don't know We about watched that. Because that's in Woman and Man. Did we watch that together? We may have. Yeah. We're going to drink beer now. Please, go for okay, it. Okay, sorry. Um... I, uh, yeah, anyway, so there's that kind of perennial question that within Catholic circles is another thing just because trying to take chastity seriously and these sorts of things, the whole question about virtuous friendship, can men and women be friends? But then in recent months, I have to say, I've been thinking about like, well, in modern culture, particularly, um, I think, within uh, in a time where kind of gay culture is just kind of becoming more normalized and kind of part of mainstream culture and these sorts of things, um, and particularly within the church, where, again, the presence of both abuse and not the same thing, kind of homosexual culture, this has become an issue and a question that people are discussing. Uh, the question in my mind was like, well, can men be friends anymore? Right, right. Um, because when you find two men who um, have some sort of close relationship these days, I think most people, the first thought is just kind of, well... They're obviously a couple. They're obviously, you know, this sort of thing. In America, at least. Italy, as we were talking about, we were talking how much different, how different Italian culture is in America earlier. And, you know, whereas Italian men are quite willing to dress in a way that in the States would maybe signal. Or go arm in arm. Or arm in arm. That is the one that I'm kind of like, whoa. Yeah. You know, and it's totally, it doesn't signal anything. Whereas in the States, it might at least, you know, make us think that way. Yeah, um, it was, it's an interesting question. Um, and I like that you brought it up because... Um, what I'm finding is just talking to people. I had a great dinner last night. Charlie Mercer and the fam, some great listeners. Great, great conversation. This came up a bit, though. But it's hard for people, I think faithful lay people, who really love the church, who really love priests, to understand how celibacy is, how is this still viable? Yeah. How is this still possible? 
Right. How, how can this be lived in a healthy way? We talk about the companion stuff. We talk about the renewal in your community in the Eastern province, friendship. But this is intimately tied to it. Certainly. The, the question of male, and, and the kind of the foundations of it seem to be kind of getting stripped away. And so I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a timely and an important conversation for priests in general to be talking about. But just for, in general, I mean, just because the gay culture has become so dominant, um, as Goronsky used to jokingly quip, he'd say, straight is the new gay. And what he meant by that was it's becoming... Uh, everything is kind of changing so quickly, yeah. you know? And so I think we have to kind of get back to it and say, okay, what does this actually look like in terms of uh, in terms of male friendships, like you're saying? Right. And so an article that I, that I had read some time ago, I'm trying to think, it came out January 21st, 2019, by Andrew Sullivan. So this is an author that I think we've talked a bit about. Andrew Sullivan, who is kind of a uh, public commentator. Um, he's from England originally um, and is Catholic, uh, but is gay, married, was interesting kind of during the whole gay marriage debates in the states was actually against uh federal gay marriage kind of hmm. um the, the judgment that had happened in obergefell you know and that sort of thing uh on more political grounds he thought that's that marriage is really a state's rights issue and then it needs to be kind of fought out and that so it was really more on that level but it was kind of interesting to have a gay man kind of in public come out against gay marriage you know in mm-hmm. that sense but what i find with him is that uh, the journalism that he produced, he's one of the first bloggers, actually kind of invented the thing. Um, but he he's one of the few people, I think, in kind of um, political commentary these days, a bit like we were talking about earlier with Ben Shapiro and Joe Rogan, these sorts of guys, but particularly Ben Shapiro, um, who are kind of dissatisfied with just kind of sloganeering and just hitting people over the head with, you know, my partisan kind of uh, groupthink. But he actually, he writes kind of long-form articles that are well-argued, and is willing to take on points of view that are totally different from his and kind of have real conversation. He's really refreshing this way. I mean, I think he's wrong on really fundamental things. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about that, but I think he's really refreshing to read and just um, someone that I think we want to kind of grapple with, you know, and deal with the sorts of things that, uh, that he brings up. And the article that I was thinking of, again, this came out in January uh, of this year, it's called The Gay Church. And it's kind of subtitled, Thousands of Priests Are Closeted and the Vatican's Failure to Reckon with Their Sexuality Has Created a Crisis Within Catholicism. And the article, which is not really the point that I want to make here, but the article kind of concludes, it's kind of like, the church has a problem. Uh, They they were not recognizing this just total part of nature, and they need to get with the program, get on the right side of history, and particularly with their priests, let their priests kind of be out and open so that they don't have this really unhealthy culture within the church and that sort of thing. The solutions that he kind of puts that I think are problematic in certain ways. Um, but one of the points that he makes is that he goes back through history and he takes up these kind of historical examples and just mm-hmm. kind of says, look, when we read about people like Augustine, when we read about people like John Henry Newman, you know, these sorts of people who have these kind of uh, male friendships, these like close male friendships, we need to just recognize that these guys were gay. And we just need to call it what it is and realize that this has been part of the church's history from the beginning up until modern times. And this has been part of the priesthood and we just got to deal with it, you know? And this is what made me think it's like, oh, no, I think what's happened here is that we've allowed certain cultural movements in the 21st century to totally color our vision of the past and to uh, recast all those things that actually, um, 
is is an institution and a, a way of um, of having friendship that has kind of deteriorated and almost disappeared these days. And so all we can do is look back on it and say, they must have been gay. They must have been, or at the very least, sublimating some sort of homoerotic desire into the so-called male friendship or fraternity within the priesthood or something like that because they couldn't express it otherwise. And I just wanted to kind of say, no, I want to push back on this a little bit and say, no, um, actually what you're, what you're looking at back there just was an intact male friendship culture that was very deep and very yeah, emotional yeah. and very intimate, actually, but it was not necessarily homoerotic, and that we can't kind of just draw those sorts of categories back into history that way. Right. I mean, you're making a claim based on no <laughs> evidence of anything homosexual. All you're doing is saying it would simply be impossible that you could have that kind of intimacy uh, in, a, in a male friendship yeah. without it being... Uh, sexualized, so That's it's right. just it's the new lens of kind of just everything through the lens of of of, of sex, which is what we've been doing for forty years. You know, That's right. No, so like there's this line that um, Andrew Sullivan cites this rather famous book by John Boswell, uh, who basically goes back through early Christianity and just kind of says, yes, homosexual acts and homosexual kind of identity were just a normal part of Christianity until the Middle Ages, when it kind of got cast into this sort of sinful. Um, this sinful kind of type, and that, that the church is still kind of hung up on these sort of high medieval images of sexuality in the human person, that we really just need to get back to this earlier thing where, yeah, people having homosexual acts was just kind of a normal part of life, and we just got to get back to that. You know, Father Evans, you have a comment about that? Uh, no, no, not really. <laughs> okay. I feel like my role here is just to give like positive feedback, since yeah. you guys can't see your audience. <laughs> Indeed. So I can just... I can. <laughs> So I can be nodding or shaking my head. No, Great. that's that's dead wrong. Okay, you know, just from over here. So thank you. That's what I feel most of my role is. But you know, some of this is reminding me of a traffic accident I just had two weeks ago in Cairo. Well, okay. <laughs> How's that? How's that for? Whoa. <laughs> no, but okay. So we were in this. I was in this car with Father John Kelly, for, uh, another companion of Christ Priest uh, from St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, <clears throat> two small missionaries of charity, sisters, Mother <laughs> Teresa's sisters, and our driver named Magdi. Magdi. Magdi, uh, who's kind of a gruff 60-ish um, Egyptian Christian man who's their driver. Anyway, Magdi is driving. There aren't really any traffic rules. I'm going to get where I'm going here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not hijacking the, but... So there aren't really traffic rules. You've been in third world countries mm. where people are driving. Anyway, Magdi takes a left. I'm going to say Magdi s- signaled his turn, sure. but I'm not sure. Maybe not. Uh, and we kind of cut off this uh, motorbike guy, but it really was his fault because he ran into the back of us, mm. right? You know, you ran into the back, it's your fault. Anyway, so we stop. Guy gets off his uh, his motor. He, he, had, uh, he was on the, on the street. Uh, gets up. He starts running over to Magdi hmm. and starts swinging at Magdi. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And little missionary, missionary of charity sisters jump out of the car. Nice. Where do you think Father John and I are? Back Father seat. John Kelly. We're in the car. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what diffused the situation was not the sisters. These other cars stopped, and all of these Egyptian men run out of their cars. They get in between the two, and they just start kissing this other guy. They just, they take him by the head. They're just like <laughs> kissing, you know, Habibi, you know, beloved. No. And this, somehow, this seemed to diffuse the situation. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, just copious male-on-male kissing of complete strangers. Yeah. 
But what it was communicating was... Yes, please, Father Ed. <laughs> I think. <laughs> was, uh, hey, uh, calm down. We see you. You know, you're a good guy. I, I, I'm not sure exactly what... But I, can, I could... Can you imagine that in the United States? No. <laughs> the like, swinging would start in after the Chicago, kissing, I think. Yeah, <laughs> like somehow this is how you diffuse it. So anyway, I, you know, and you see that in India as well with uh, two men. They, they will just walk hand in hand yeah uh holding hands in yeah. india and that just means we're friends mm-hmm. um and and i think uh not that i'm interested in starting that up with you guys but <laughs> don't worry <laughs> i think we, we we've lost something human there yeah. um in a lot of these cultures it's just normal to um it's not uh erotic or sexualized in any way exactly and so I think, I think two things are kind of converging, it seems to me, is that you've had a loss of male friendship culture within American culture, that is, at least. Um, and then you've had kind of the mainstreaming of uh, gay culture, and they kind of happened at the same time. And so it's like, ah, we've lost a sense of what, how to read these sorts of relationships in history or contemporarily. And then we've had this other normalization, so, well, that just must be what it is. And it just seems to me, this is the misidentification. That's important, I think, the two, that something was lost. Yeah. It wasn't just this new movement, this kind of, no. the, 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 the whole kind of gay culture just took over, but something was, it's filling a void that something had died, you know? Right. And I think it, it, tying it into these other countries and India and Egypt, and even today, I, why can I not get the doppio bacho down? <laughs> <laughs> you go enough. to the right and then you go to the left. This yep. is the double Italian kiss. I everything in me goes left every time, and I just almost headbutted Giulio Maspero. It was like my hero professor again, and I'm like, "You are such a loser. You've been doing this for four years." So I don't, I, I don't know what it's going to take. I think you're just going to go home and just not give you. I think of your I life. just got to go home. Yeah, and, it's just uh, over. And just no more doppio. But that's another example of like the Italians of like the Mediterranean thing. Um, there's something that. It's almost like we were just, I don't know, I would look and say Northern European, English, and then the American thing was something lost in terms of just the humanity that disposed us to kind of the more platonic friendship that's then kind of removed from physical affection that then led to this kind of collapse of male friendship. And then now it's in this kind of extreme sexualized yeah. uh, form, you know. Um, I don't know. It, it feels like we've just, we're a bit disposed we were disposed towards the loss. But then again, we're talking about Newman in these examples, so maybe not. No, so I think, you know, so like one of the quotations that comes up in this literature, I mean, Andrew Sullivan's citing a whole other movement, so he's not the one that's come up with this, but there is in the Confessions, there's this line, he's talking about the anonymous friend, you know, Augustine that he has in the Confessions. And he says, For I felt that my soul and his were one soul and two bodies, and therefore life was a horror to me since I did not want to live as a half, and yet I was also afraid to die lest he whom I had loved so much, would completely die. Which is really a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful sentiment. It's also, there's that reading, um, the funeral oration um, for Basil the Great by Gregory Nazianzen, where he talks in similar language, actually, right? They, became, they were students at Athens together, and they lived as kind of, um, you know, one soul and two bodies. They, they sought to outdo each other in honor, you know, and they lived their entire lives together in this way. And it's the same thing. And you, and you see there was this deep, intimate, real friendship that had certain goods in it, particularly the good of Christian living, the good of truth, you know, all these sorts of things. But that in our 21st century, again, kind of, I think, an American particular viewpoint just kind of looks back and says, oh, this is obviously either sublimated or just pure and simple 
homoerotic desire. Right, right. And I think uh, we want to kind of push back against it and say, no, actually, it's just something that we in our culture have lost, and we need to actually recover this if we want a healthy culture in general. So what do you think is the, if you were going to diagnose the loss of kind of healthy male friendship, what Newman was experiencing, what Augustine was experiencing, these guys, like, what do you think happened in the last half of the last century that led to this this kind of vacuum and this collapse because women just seem to have this deep relationality. We were, we were given the, he was given the chastity talk to the ladies today, which was a bit, he kept asking quote provocative questions and it was like, (laughs) is it hot in here? You know, it was actually a great talk. Um, but, um, they just, they're so inherently relational. It's just like, they're always just, my mom has three best friends from since age two, right? Yeah. She's still friends with them. Right. Um, but what do you think? I mean, just with guys, what is your thought on, on the... I don't know. I, I see the problem, and I see uh, I see with, like within myself, but then also in kind of trying to diagnose this, um, that the solution has to be recovery of something of kind of deep male friendship, because right. it's even part of the kind of the emotional life of these guys in this way. And I think we've seen something in the 20th century, yeah, kind of the loss of the ability of men to kind of deal with their emotions in a, you know, sort of salutary way and this sort of thing. So I don't know. I see a lot of the problem. I don't know that I see a huge amount of the solution except for there's something that has to be recovered. Right. You know, it seems to me a lot of it is the loss of the kind of the deeper dimensions of men. And are they living from that? And are they communicating that? You know, we, we had a conversation with our students about friendship and mm-hmm. defining it as that kind of communication of goods, right? Yeah. So what is the good we're sharing? Well, if, if the good you're sharing is, you know, uh, watching football on Sunday afternoons, that's fine. That's that's cool. Right. But but that's not going to give you, this is not the kind of level of deep, authentic, masculine friendship that we're striving for. Um, and I think one of the ways we probe into the deeper things is through vulnerability, at least in the companions. That's kind of the key, is mm-hmm. that you have to force guys into a deeper uh, vulnerability in order if you ever want to cultivate that kind of friendship um, because there's something we're just as dudes we'll just stay on the surface yeah what I think also what you have is two things happening there too is that most male friendships then the ideal is just either the pleasant or useful friendship right, right. right? it's the work buddy it's the drink buddy it's the sports but you know whatever this right. sort of thing and so they have almost no kind of true virtuous comprehensive male friendship in their life at all anyway then when you look to their romantic relationships with women, they have become uh, so superficial as well. Because so often in our world right now, it's kind of like, what are you going to give to me? What can I get from you? And this sort of thing. So there's just a loss of comprehensive relationality in general, mm-hmm. actually. And so who's surprised that you can't do it in this very particular way? Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts over there? You're just nodding. That's what he's here for. No, I... Um I was going to say, you know, one thing, so I don't know that the answer for men here is just, you know, those guys who are watching football together on Sunday afternoon. The answer is not, let's get together Tuesday morning at Starbucks and stare deeply into each other's (laughs) eyes and share our feelings, you know. Um, Some of that can be healthy, but I think, as we all know, working with with men and uh, being in men's communities, often the way relationships among fraternal relationships are strengthened is a common project. You know, working side by side on something that's greater than yourself. Um, And we, that, I feel like that's, we've lost in our, in our society where it's so atomized. People are so isolated. Everyone has to be their, their own kind of brand um, and defining themselves um, that men are, are isolated from one another. So they don't have some great, 
big common project. And so there's no, you know, we, w- what's the cliche of the closest male bonding in, in society today is the foxhole buddies, right? Sure. The, the band of brothers. And, and so that's the one place where men come together and some great project that they're striving together. Um, and I think that's, we need to recover more of that hmm. uh, among men uh, today, among Catholic men. I'm not sure how, but uh, something like that. Sure, because that's certainly what you see in the sort of historical examples that I was kind of bringing up. So Augustine and his friend, they have this kind of project of Christianity together. You know, they're kind of discovering this in some way, uh, certainly later on. Um, also with Basil and Gregory, like talk about. And then also jumping forward 1,400 years, you know, to uh, John Henry Newman and his good friend Ambrose Sinjin, and spelled St. John, but Sinjin. And, uh, you know, and where Newman uses very kind of deep language. I mean, these are Victorian guys, you know, uh, but uses this deep language. He talks about, you know, the death of Ambrose. You know, they say that the death of a spouse is the worst, you know, mourning that you can have, but I don't know. I think I'm experiencing something even deeper, you know. And they were buried in the same grave together and this sort of thing. And so we immediately look at that in the 21st century in American kind of, you know, society and say, oh, this is obviously sort of some sort of homoerotic relationship. It's like, no, they, um, they both converted from Anglicanism at, you know, similar times. They both had this project of trying to live Catholicism in Victorian England at that time after the Restoration. They were putting the oratory together, all these sorts of things. And so I wonder if it isn't that there's something within the male, that kind of male friendship is forged in these common projects and kind of common vision together. And it seems like in the church, then we need to be able to give men this. Yeah, you know? I think that's, I think that we're hitting on something important here because you know the the creation of suburbia and the loss of the neighborhood you know these these sociological mm. things we keep kind of circling back to they're changing parish life they're changing catholic life they're changing the experience of just how do you relate in community and a good example is you know um if i need anything done i just call somebody you know yeah. shower door is broken i call the guy he comes and he fixes the shower door i'm right. completely i'm a total loser when it comes to this stuff you know <laughs> But uh, if you're in a neighborhood and you're tight with the guys, you know, yeah. and your community's there, uh, there's a great example of, of a community of families and around a parish called St. Mary's in Littleton. And my buddy Phil Bartline's down there, uh, who will probably hear this at some point. But Phil's finishing his basement, you know. But the guys come over, and it's like 9 o'clock at night because they got to put the kids down. And then they just drywall for like two hours, you know. Yeah. And they have beers probably, and they're just kind of working together. And then... And, they go, and then they go to work tomorrow, but they're 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 finishing his basement together, mm-hmm. you know, and they're just doing different things like this. They're helping each other out, but it that kind of does build it builds into the life versus it can't be the Starbucks thing, which is just death, you know, for guys. <laughs> it is. It's just um, now there needs to be intentional times, and I think as guys we have to be like with the companions, we have to schedule time to be intentional about talking about. Sharing our life, because we're not going to talk about it otherwise. Yep. Right? We're going to talk about Seinfeld or, or whatever, you know? <laughs> but I, I, as we're coming to a conclusion here in our time together, me with you, it's like, what was one of the greatest bonding factors for our friendship in these years in Rome together? Bernardi, chaplaincy, chaplaincy yeah. right? A shared uh, project together where we're getting... And, and it's like you and I, were sitting last night having dinner. And what are we doing? We're talking through, you know, kids and who, who you're meeting with, how are things going... Is this person connected with anybody? And it's yep. like, that's the kind of thing that uh, it, it draws us together, you know, because our hearts kind of go into that. Um, and, uh, I mean, we bonded together this weekend, you know. A student was out hiking and got lost, and 
it was a it was a scary thing, you know. Um, but it was just like we were together as a, as a kind mm-hmm. of a band, and we we you know some of the people helped, and we we everything worked out. But um, those are the kind of things and the experiences that I think you remember, and they really just kind of form your hearts together. Um, but for the re- regular guy in the parish, I don't know if we're doing that much. And then there's so much media ideology right now around the undef- undefining marriage and gender and all this stuff. It's like. Yeah, not helping this. Not helping. Yeah, so I think I think within generic society, general society, well, we need to kind of present a different vision. I think within the church, a different vision, but then even within the priesthood, then as well, just because we don't have that sort of natural, comprehensive union, you know, that most of the population would have within yeah. marriage, and then to say, but those kind of needs for real friendship and for a friendship that's actually shared. But again, kind of the whole of life as well, you know? I was just thinking as you were talking, it's just like, I'm thinking back to like some of my dad's golfing buddies, you know? Um, these are guys he played golf with. And like, you know, <laughs> like the wives will, I remember that one time, uh, the two couples, my parents and then another couple were kind of going out to dinner. These And my dad and this other guy were golfing buddies. And the ladies just kind of look at each other and they look at the guys and they go, guys, when you're playing golf, like, <laughs> what do you talk about? You know, because they just imagine maybe there they're kind of sharing their whole life. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. My dad looks at you know Sonny Peters and kind of says, "We talk about golf." <laughs> you know, they couldn't get it. However, it's not it's not actually true because what happens is that right. those relationships. You know, when Sonny's wife was in the hospital, right. who did Sonny call? He calls my dad, right. and dad kind of goes and helps, and we kind of and the families kind of band together this way. Right. And it's just kind of it, it does happen. It is possible this way. Um, and so I think we need to kind of present that vision and say, it's okay, you know, uh, and that we need to give models of this to say, it's actually good for your humanity, and you don't need to be worried about someone imputing something that's not there uh, to these friendships, and to be willing to be vulnerable with other people in this way, because we're missing out on something deeply human if we're not going to do this on a regular basis. I wonder about guys, uh, married men, and the, how many of them are intentional in uh, friendships and community. Because I see it's not everybody like has tons of friends, but and we were talking about I think you were preaching about this to our community about as you get older, you're the kind of the vast infinite mm. network of relationships and infinite possibility for new friendships in college. You know, it, it gets smaller and smaller, and then it gets real small around thirty, and it kind of narrows out for the rest <laughs> of your life. Um, and uh, but I just wonder, like your guys' experience of married friends, because I see some who get so invested in their individual marriage yep. and fatherhood, which is beautiful, but they lose male friendship. Certainly. And, it, and it's like a lost dimension of their life. And not I know a number of guys who actually do this quite well, but it seems to me that I think a lot of guys who are, if they're honest with themselves, married men, faithful, good Catholic guys, but um, they're kind of longing for this and saying, yeah, yeah where are the guys? Or right. where's the guy, you know, that kind of thing. I no, I think that's right. And... Um, and again, I think this kind of needs to be part of our mission to kind of to diagnose this thing a bit, but then find some solutions for it and kind of presenting a model and then just kind of presenting the uh, the need for it as well. Yeah, I think it's something we can build um, ideally in parishes. Not that any of us are ever going to be in parish life <laughs> <laughs> again. Um, but, uh, you know, building up, uh, I think, men's groups, small group, men's groups. Um, we did this at... Uh, my first assignment with another uh, brother companion and beginning men's groups. And yeah, uh, the guys were just uh, thirsting for it. Uh, the men were just thirsting for it. I, th- I think their uh, their wives were very happy <laughs> as sure. well. Um, but 
uh, and it, you know, in doing things together, projects around the parish, we had uh, competition, another good one for male friendship, actually. Yeah. Uh, we had the chili cook-off. Um, so, yeah, I, I no, I think that uh, a lot of, uh, every married man needs needs close brothers that, that he's mm-hmm. walking with um, uh, in his vocation, just as, just as priests do. And I, I suppose as uh, Father John, you coined the term parochial solipsism. I mean, there is a kind of uh, analog in married life of the man who believes he's so indispensable to his family um, that he can never leave and mm-hmm. he can never uh, have any other intimate uh, or any other friendships outside the home. There's something something similar there, I think. Yeah, I, I would just add to that... Um, this is important to culturally tying it back into what you're saying earlier with this article, because uh, the force of witness co- to kind of counter this o- o- over-sexualized kind of suspicion-based hermeneutic of history mm-hmm. uh, has to be lived, concrete examples of healthy male friendship right. in Christ. Like it, it's just if you, if it doesn't exist. Then it's just we're just fighting. We're fighting the kind of the big bad kind of culture wars. You know, that's right. And but, that's certainly not my intention about doing this. Is kind of say, hey, there's this gay culture. I mean, that's that's a whole other kind of conversation and issue that I didn't. But it's just that what's informing that sort of article, though, is just kind of this this sort of yeah, this sort of cynical and I think suspicious way of looking at historical relationships and saying, no, actually, you're misdiagnosing something, and it's pointing out though at the same time a lack that we have to I think re uh, reenergize somehow. Well, I will say this, you know, one of the great uh, uh, blessings of my years here in Rome has been sharing it with you guys, and uh, now it's kind of drawing to a close here with our final uh, recording, and so I just, uh, you know, thank you uh, for putting up with a lot of craziness, especially the last couple months. (laughs) Things got uh, a little crazy, uh, finishing the (laughs) dissertation. Uh, But yeah, you know, uh, there's a great line from Tolkien where he talks about, you know, friendship is the great joy of life, and... uh, and Lewis and the friendship they shared early on, it is one of the greatest joys uh, that we share as Christians. And I think that uh, there's a distinctive way that men live friendship in Christ, and uh, the saints are, are witness of that, spoke eloquently, boldly hmm. in describing it. Um, yeah, and it's a gift that we receive from the Lord. And if, and if something's not part of your life, uh, start asking for it, start kind of cultivating it. Um, but yeah, as I conclude my time here, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for you guys, so... No, that's certainly very mutual, and I think, uh, like Father Evan said too, the the fact that we have this kind of common project together has created something that um, would have been, yeah, less robust had it just been kind of dependent on our own sort of interpersonal, you know, communication. I actually said that he didn't say that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just so used to <laughs> quoting Father Evan that I <laughs> that I don't know who says what anymore. But um, no, so it's certainly very mutual, and um, I'm sure we'll find some way of yeah. trudging along next year. Yeah, well, <laughs> we will manage with heavy hearts uh, next year with uh, Father John. No, but uh, no, I think it's, uh, you know, I say let's organize that, that common grave, you know, one day. <laughs> Just like Newman and Sinjin. Exactly. No? It's cheaper. I'm getting a big no over here. Yeah, you're getting a big no, Father John. <laughs> no, it, uh, we, we, we love you, Father John, and we're... we're uh, we're very proud of you finishing, and uh, we're going to miss you a lot next year. Okay, so we're going to do some shout-outs now. 
I'm actually doing like a shout out, a shameless plug, if that's okay. I was told this was okay. Go for it, man. Um, so I two- actually have one too. I'll do it after. We'll, we'll be shameless together. Okay. Uh, so two friars from my uh, home province of Dominicans, Father Benedict Kroll, who's been our vocation director until recently, uh, is now doing fundraising here at the Angelicum, and Father Andrew Hofer, who was student master for the last several years and now is a professor in Washington. They've written a book uh, about how to discern religious vocations for men, for young men. And it's called A Living Sacrifice. It's coming out from Vianney Vocations. So it's, it's kind of at the printers right now. Actually, by the time this comes out, it'll probably be in print and that sort of thing. But it's the sort of book that doesn't really exist uh, right now. I mean, you've got lots of things about kind of priestly vocation, women's vocations, this sort of thing, but kind of male, how do men kind of think about religious vocation? And two guys who have done a lot of work with guys discerning uh, religious life, Dominicans, in the last uh, several years, and uh, two good friends of mine. So I just wanted to kind of plug that book and say it's worth uh, looking at. Excellent. That sounds good. Well, I have uh, some friends who are now working up at Annunciation Heights, which is the new um, the new retreat center in Colorado since the last one uh, burned down, as you know, from several years ago. A certain group from Boulder was there when it happened. Uh, no comment. Uh, and there's upcoming summer camps, and uh, yeah, they're looking for camp counselors and uh, just kind of spread this, and it's going to be a great thing um, uh, to get that going. So check out Annunciation Heights online uh, if you can. That'd be good. Very good. Just got an email. Shout out to Jack Johnson, not the musician. I was going to say. This is a little guy who is one of the holiest kids I have ever met. This this guy is he's amazing. And so um, his dad, uh, Derek, is in the diaconate program. Uh, Mom, Lindsay, I knew them uh, through kind of one of these amazing conversions in RCA. Uh, it was Derek's dad uh, and uh, just a super faithful dude and uh, became Catholic when I was there. And so their little guy, Jack, uh, is not little anymore. He's getting big, but uh, we call him Master Jack, and he's getting confirmed on June 2nd by Archbishop, and so uh, his dad said we'd give him a shout-out. So Jack, praying for you, man. Grateful for... Uh, uh, he's just... He's awesome. I can't uh, talk him up high enough, so... Great kid. Does he need some recommendation for confirmation names? Uh, maybe. Evan? You, you want to give him one? Austin, maybe. Austin and Evan. <laughs> Evan and Austin. Be sealed. <laughs> Men's group up in Vicenza in, in, um, met some guys, Sean, Brandon, Patrick, and then Matt Eusterman is actually the one who uh, who we knew and got connected. So this is uh, Father Daniel's oh, nice. brother. So these guys are, uh, I don't know, one of them listens. The other ones, we're going to start listening if they got a shout out. So it's one of those things. Excellent. So, so yeah, so that's it. Um, I think that's good. That's it, man. That's it. That's it from Rome, boys. Very good. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. This chapter's coming to a close. I feel like it was just yesterday I did the, um, the last podcast with Goble when I was leaving to come over here. That was four years ago. And uh, and then Olaf came on, and uh, Mikey was here, and uh, we had him here for three years. He got me through that first year, which was crazy. Uh, you were around. You came uh, the following year. Eusti came up. Um, yeah, it's been a great good. Great four years. So cheers, you guys. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. All right. We'll have you in Denver. Austin, don't Can't despair. Wait. We'll have you back on the podcast. Evan, you did a great job with your volume <laughs> check tonight. Totally redeemed yourself. <laughs> Speak up, man. You did a good job. So that's it. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. I will see you all in Denver this summer, and uh, you will see these guys sometime soon. Thanks again. Ciao.